Okay. Welcome everybody to the Aligned Living Podcast. My name is Sophie. I'm your host, and I am so grateful that you are here. So if you're new to the podcast, this is a place where we explore what it means to live an aligned life. We explore concepts such as yoga, spirituality, and self-care. And today I'm really excited to be talking with my dear friend and colleague in the yoga industry, Melisande Turpin or Turpin. Is that how you say your last name with a French accent? Um, in French, it would be Turpin. Okay. So I feel like I have a French last name and I and don't... It should be Turpin, like Turpin. Right. Exactly. So I have a French last name, but I say it... We both the... have French names and we're both English. Yes. Except for you actually speak French. So I feel like you have a little um, bit more street cred than me. though, honestly. Okay. I'm pretty impressed with your French. I mean, you ran a yoga studio speaking French and you used to teach French classes, right? No, I never taught in French. Okay. I thought you used to teach in French. I have. And I really tried at the beginning and it just did not feel like my voice. I had to think so much before speaking. And when teaching yoga, sometimes you're just like channeling and it just flows out. Totally. That was not possible for me when teaching in French. So right away, I just kind of committed to teaching in English. And that's honestly when my classes started to fill up. I love that. I've, and I feel like that's such a great lesson too for yoga teachers out there, whether you're bilingual or not, but just to teach in a way that feels like you're able to be the most authentic version of yourself. And like, what I hear you saying is that when you're speaking French, because you were so in your head with translations and conjugations and whatever, you weren't able to be as present and therefore teach in a super authentic way. So it it didn't feel like me who was teaching the class at all. I bet. And even though some people would come to my class and barely spoke any English, they like loved it. And it's when I I realized that they were picking up on like a feeling, a vibe, an energy Mm -hmm. that was coming from the teaching. And that vibe was not possible if I was teaching in French. And Mm -hmm. if I really tried, I'm sure I could have gotten to that place. For sure. In another language. I know lots of bilingual teachers who are incredible. Um, But... I don't know. There's a resistance to French somewhere in there. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, to give the listener a little bit more information about Mel, um, Mel and I met during our first year of university. And as I was preparing for this podcast, I was just thinking about how far we've come since we met when we were literally 18 years old, which is just... What are you talking about? We were like very spiritual and zen and healthy and living an aligned life. (laughs) Just just totally woke at 18. That was not at all the case. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that could be its whole own episode, but... I think what's so amazing about our friendship is that we've really always grown alongside one another. So even during university, both of us discovered yoga kind of in our own time and on our own terms. And I think that mutual like love and passion brought us even closer. And then I was thinking about how after university, both of us traveled to India and it just so happened that we ended up being in India at the same time with a mutual friend. 
And we met up and spent time together in India, which is just like so amazing. You had just done your yoga teacher training. I was doing some volunteer work and like, those are just such core memories for me. Like what, what an amazing journey to be on with you thus far. It's just been so awesome. Yeah. We're synced up for real synced up, but we're, we're much closer now than we were when we first met. Even though, Agreed. even though we saw each other, I mean, we lived in the same residence building, Yeah, but I think because we were so disconnected from ourself, you know, the quality of all, a lot of our friendships at that time was not really that deep. It was mostly totally. partying, social events, going to hot yoga to detox, and then... <laughs> going straight back to drinking and partying. Yeah, it was a rough time. And like, God bless the hot yoga for keeping us a little bit balanced and like keeping us in line with what was really important at the time. And I think too, looking back with your, with you and some of our other mutual friends, we would be at these parties and maybe not necessarily connecting, but just knowing that there was people in that space who at some level, whether I was conscious of it or not at the time, I knew that our souls connected on a deeper level. It gave me this feeling of safety because I think we were doing a lot of, we were engaging in some risky behavior and just knowing that we had people around who were just come from a really good place, I think was a saving grace, honestly, because otherwise I think things could have gotten scary or scarier than they were at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I just think that God or the universe sprinkled in these amazing people just to like get us through those times. And I agree now we have such a beautiful friendship and watching you grow has been so amazing. Um, And I would love for the listener to learn a little bit more about you and your journey. So now they know that we met during university and you, you studied business, right? At university. I did. did. Cool. I told Matt that last night and he was like, I didn't know that Mel studied business. And I was like, yeah, she studied business. She's a badass. I think I was studying. He thought you studied like sustainability or something. Okay. So I did study business management, but I went to university and first year was enrolled in the psych program. Interesting. So I took a like first year psychology and really didn't like it. I, I didn't even really want to go to school. I didn't really want to go to university, but I felt that was what was expected of me, you know, from my parents, from my family, from even my high school and from society. It was like, okay, you're 18, go to school. And I was practicing yoga then and interested in spirituality, philosophy, um, the mind-body connection. And I thought, oh, I'll just go take psychology. But I found that the info was so outdated in comparison to things that interested me. Mm -hmm. I was way more into like new age spirituality. And then I was studying all this really old school psychology that I felt was super um, stereotypical. And I was like, "Mm, I don't want to be studying this for four years, but at the, in first year, I took a business management elective and I loved that program. I loved the faculty and it was just really useful information. And within that program, you could take a lot of different electives. So I did take 
uh, sustainability classes. I took psychology, but it was more geared towards the psychology of marketing, the psychology of business. And the program was awesome. And little did I know that I would be using so much of the the things that I was learning and the skills that I was developing through that program. But yeah, for some reason, I just felt more of a call to that program than psychology. So I, I switched second year. That's amazing. I didn't know that. And I think yeah. that makes so much sense in terms of the path that you've taken since then. You know, I really feel that you have been on this path of spiritual entrepreneurship, because when I think of you, I think of you as a deeply spiritual person, as a yoga teacher, but also like you're a business badass and you've been running businesses ever since we graduated from university. So tell us a little bit about that. And that is so funny because in the management program, there was a, an entrepreneurship class. And I remember the first day there was a quiz to like, see if you had some of the like qualities and characteristics of an entrepreneur. And I took the, the, the quiz and I was like, Ooh, this is so not me. I would hate being an entrepreneur. (laughs) No. And I hated that class. And I kind of just, I don't know, even to this day, I don't really think of myself as an entrepreneur, even though I certainly am. I've always been running. I've always been running businesses, even since I was little, like Mm. with another one of our friends, Jamie Lee, we used to like go around our neighborhood, knocking on doors, being like, hi, like, do you need house cleaning? Do you need babysitting? Do you need dog walking? We also like can paint like fences. Like we're like going around or we do like garage sales or lemonade stands. We were hilarious. We were both of us. I think, you know, we're entrepreneurs from a very young age but I just always felt that it was such a risky career for sure, such a risky career path and, and, you know, not stable hours. You're kind of always working, not really being able to rely on, you know, a fixed income and, and, and benefits. And, and so I kind of just wrote it off, but then as soon as we finished school, I was offered a, general management job of a new business and it was in Banff and that's the Mm -hmm. only reason why I decided to take it because I had been going out west during the summer um, of when I was in university every summer I was going out west and I said yes mostly because of the location rather than the job (laughs) and I was like well it's a job and it's a managing a cafe and that could be cool so I went out there and brand new business, the man who owned it did not even live in Alberta. He lived in Quebec (laughs) and he kind of set me up and was like, yeah, here's like, here's your food provider. Here's the bank that you need to like, that need to work with. And, um, okay, I'm going to go back to Quebec now. And he just kind of left me alone at like 19, suddenly I'm like in charge of business and it wasn't even open. It hadn't even opened yet. Wow. We didn't even have like all the, the, the supplies that we needed. We didn't have anything. So right away I had to think quick on my feet, which is entrepreneurship. You know, 
you're making decisions constantly. You don't know if you're making the right call or not. You know, you're just throwing things at the wall and whatever sticks, you kind of just go with it. And, and right away I started developing those skills. I managed that cafe for almost two years. That's amazing. And, um, it did pretty well. Honestly, it taught me a lot. I was, I was managing a, a staff, hiring staff, like doing everything. That's wild. Like you truly got thrown into the fire. Totally. And, and what a great way to learn, although very stressful. Yeah, it was super stressful, but because I was so afraid of like, sort of like making a mistake or not having the information that I needed, I asked so many questions. Like I would go into the bank and be like, what is this? Like, what is this document that I just received? Or like, what is, what is this number? What is this? What is this? Asking tons of questions. And I still Mm. do that to this day. Mm. I'm not afraid to say that I don't know how something works. Mm. And yeah, just by asking tons of questions, I've learned so, so much. And now I actually, yeah, I'm proud that I have a, a, a lot of skills as a, as a business, as a business owner. Totally. And I think that's such a good takeaway as well. Not being afraid to ask questions, not being afraid to look dumb, you know, because that's how you learn. And, and there are people out there who that's their job is to inform us on certain things. So yeah, yeah, that's a good reminder for me as well. You're happy to help and and answer your questions. Totally. Otherwise you're sitting there wondering, did I understand this correctly? And it's just causing stress. For sure. For sure. So after managing the cafe in Banff for nearly two years, what happens next? Where, where do you go? What, what part of the journey are you on? Yeah. So during that time I was like, okay, this can't be my job forever. I Mm -hmm. loved living in Banff. I loved the lifestyle. Um, I had great friends out there, but I knew that wasn't what I was going to do for Mm -hmm. even any longer than two years. And I went on a retreat, a yoga retreat in Costa Rica. And that's when I had sort of like the deepest call to go finally take my yoga teacher training. I've been practicing yoga forever and ever and ever, like since I was a kid. Totally. And I'd always kind of wanted to be a yoga teacher. It's so funny. My mom found um, some of my university business projects. And I literally did a full business plan on opening up a Bikram yoga studio. No way. And I didn't even remember, like talk about manifestation. I honestly, I was the hippie girl in my business program. Like I would go to class with like wet hair and a yoga mat and everyone would always call me the tree hugger. And I was like, yeah, I was. I never really felt like I belonged in the business program, you Mm -hmm. know, but whatever I was there and I, I, I did enjoy it. I learned a lot from it and yeah. So for all the projects, I would just choose topics or things that interested me. And at the time I was, I was a trade at a Bikram studio and I was like, oh, I can like kind of see how this business is working. Like I could see a little bit behind the curtain. So I'm just going to do my business plan on that. And um, so I'd always been interested in yoga, in teaching yoga, but oh my God, I did not think I could do it. 
Like I had so little faith in myself because I didn't have, because I couldn't do handstands. I was like, oh, I can't teach yoga because I didn't know every name in Sanskrit. I was like, there's no way I could teach. Mm. I haven't read the Bhagavad Gita 10 times, you know, in every Mm -hmm. translation. Oh, I can't teach. And so I just delayed, 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 yet continue to practice and study yoga all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, reading tons of books on spirituality, always interested in it. And, you know, it was also supporting a lot of my healing that was occurring at that time. Mm -hmm. But then when I was in Costa Rica, I felt this really deep call Mm -hmm. that was like, you need to go do your yoga teacher training now like stop putting it off. It's, it's got to happen now. And then I started making plans to do that. And I started saving and I wanted to go do my teacher training in India, as you mentioned. Amazing. Um, and yeah, I had initially planned actually to go straight from BAM to India. And then I decided once again, that I wasn't ready to go because I hadn't Mm. read all of the like 15 recommended reading, uh, all the books on the recommended reading list. And so I wrote to the school in India and said, do you think it could be possible for me to delay my training like a few months? And they were like, yeah, sure. No problem. So I took a later training and decided actually to go home, which my new home became Tremblant. I, I'm from Ottawa, and but my mom had moved to Tremblant full-time. So I thought, that's perfect. I'm going to leave Banff. I'm going to go to Tremblant and take two months there and really study and like prepare for the, the trip and prepare for the training. And as soon as I got back to Tremblant, my mom was super excited because a new yoga studio had opened up there. Amazing. And the owner of the studio had also done her training in India and had also done her training in Goa, where I was going to do my training. Literally, wow. our schools were like right beside each other. Amazing. So I went in to meet um, the owner, her name's Elise, and I asked her if I could work at the studio in exchange for free yoga, which I'd done at maybe three other studios before. And she needed a lot of help. The business was brand new and she did not have a lot of business skills. She was a really great yoga teacher. She knew a lot about yoga, spirituality. Um, She was really good at, at sort of like creating community, but lacked a lot of um, business skills. So right away, I was helping her with her website, with like creating and adjusting her business plan. And I basically started working at that studio right away and uh, went to India, did my training, traveled a bunch. We met up, came back to Tremblant because she told me, you know, come back here and teach as many classes as you want on the schedule which I knew as a new teacher, I would not have that opportunity anywhere else. For sure. If I I went back to Banff, there's maybe I would have gotten a community class once a week. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll go back to Tremblant. 
I'll teach like five classes a week for this, for this, for this woman and get good at teaching. And then I'll go back to Banff. But what mm-hmm. ended up happening is that, you know, we started working together and she offered that I become a partner at the studio. And that is the sort of beginning story of Karma Shala and how I became the owner of Karma Shala. So after working together for maybe eight months, she was like, this is not for me. Hmm. You know, it's so hard at the beginning to start a new business. You really have to believe in the business Mm -hmm. because we were working so hard and not making much money. We didn't have a lot of, of students, you know, you're, you're putting all these classes on the schedule and like one person showing up two people, three people, and you just have to stay committed. If Mm. you believe in it. And if you're like, no, I know this is going to work. You just have to stay committed. But she, because she had been running it a little bit longer than me, she, she, you know, created the, the studio. She was already really burnt out and she was like, I want out. And I was like freaking out, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to run the studio like by myself? And how am I going to, how am I going to do this? But I, I did. And so I ended up buying her out and yeah, I ran the studio for like the last six years. That's amazing. I mean, it was written in the stars. It was so serendipitous. And it's like, this opportunity was there's no doubt in my mind that it was meant for you. And I think what you said about it being hard at the beginning is so important for people to hear because oftentimes people start a new business. They see, they look to other people who have been on the path for, let's say, two, three, five, 10 years, and they expect to have the results that they're having. But the truth is that like, nothing comes without hard work. You know, we live in this world where we just see the highlight reel on Instagram and and we don't see the businesses that are struggling or the people that are struggling. And, and we just think, oh, let me open a yoga studio and it will have amazing results. Just like all of these other yoga studios I've been to. And if you do stay the course and if you believe in what you're offering, you know, it's my belief and, and, and your proof that, eventually, eventually that abundance will come and the students will come, but you have to, you have to build it first. Um, it's, it's quite remarkable that that opportunity came to you. And how old were you when you became a partner in the yoga studio? I was 24. Right? Like that's wild. That's wild. And sometimes life just hands us these opportunities. And it makes me think of the quote where it's like, if you weren't ready, the opportunity wouldn't be here. And I just fully believe in that because there's been so many instances in my own life and in your life where you're presented with these opportunities and you're like, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready. Just like you were doing with your yoga teacher training. Like if anybody was ready to do their yoga teacher training, it was you. Like you had been practicing since you were a young girl. Yeah, And I got to the training and there were people there who had just started practicing yoga like a month prior no one read any of the books. I was the only one. I for was sure. so over-prepared for that training. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. okay, Mel, like, and yeah, after teaching my first class there and, and just feeling like 
this is what I was, this is what I was meant to do. I was meant to do. For sure. And it's like so often we're the ones who sabotage our own growth and our own success because we get in the way with the stories of I'm not enough. I need to do X, Y, and Z before I'll be ready. And it's like, you were already ready. And if you know Mel, you know, she's a very devout practitioner. I feel like for as long as I've known you, you've been so committed to your practice and ultimately that translates into your teaching. Like I always say to teachers, teach what you know. And like, just by showing up on your mat every single day, you have things to teach and to offer other people. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, what a wild journey. And I mean, it doesn't stop there. It continues to go. So why don't you speak a bit about the transitions that you've been navigating? I need to write a book, man. I need to you write do. a book. You do. Well, this can oh, serve as a bit of an outline. Such a journey. <laughs> is such a journey. And honestly, sometimes I'm like, why? Like, why? <laughs> we don't know why. And I think maybe at some point at the end of our lives, we'll have the opportunity to see why, like, yeah. and how everything makes sense and comes together. But for now, we're just along for the ride. It's it's a wild ride, this life, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So rewinding a little bit, you've now taken over full ownership of Karmashala, which is a yoga studio or was a yoga studio in Tremblant. Yeah. Um, why don't you speak just a bit about what your experience was like running that business and the transitions you've made in the last year? So running the business was, I mean, it was in, in a way it was similar to the, the cafe in that I had no one telling me what to do necessarily. I had no one like constantly watching me. So I had the freedom to try a lot of different things out. Sweet. Um, and at the studio, that was such a blessing for me, both as a teacher and a studio owner. As a teacher, I could teach whatever I wanted. I didn't Mm -hmm. have to follow a structure. I didn't have to follow a sequence. I was the one creating the name of the class, the description of the class, the time of the class. Mm -hmm. Um, We taught hot yoga. We taught aerial yoga um, at the studio, yin yoga, I mean, we, we had like, we've had every class on the schedule. We've had Kundalini, we've had mom and baby yoga. We've had circus, like everything. We tried it. We even did like Pilates. We did, oh my gosh, like pound with like sticks where you're like pounding the ground, like drumming, like oh my god, every fad, every like sort of fitness fad was in Karmashala at one point. I swear to you. Amazing. And very quickly, I realized sort of like what works and what doesn't. Again, it's that idea of like throwing everything to the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And it gave me, um, it really helped to refine my teaching in that I was able to like create my own style. Cool. With, with, of course, with the influence of teachers that inspired me and teachers you know, that I really looked up to and that I enjoyed their way of, of teaching. But for the most part, it was a, it was a creative process of, of figuring out how I like to sequence a class, how I like to teach a class. And I got to control everything. I controlled the environment. I controlled the lights, the music, um, the essential oils, like everything. Right. 
Mm. So that was amazing as a teacher to have like all of that freedom. And, you know, if you are a new teacher and you can like rent out a space and just do your own thing, I think it's great. And, and also very quickly, I found students who were on board with my evolution. Cool. Like, you know, I think some people wished that I would have stayed the same, Mm. you know, they, they would make comments about how my, my teaching was different. Cause at the beginning I, I, my first training was in Ashtanga. Mm -hmm. So my practice was very vinyasa flow, millions of chaturangas, you know, warrior one, warrior two, vinyasa, other side, same thing, like very basic, Mm -hmm. which was easier to teach way easier to teach. Um, and it gave people like a great workout because they're doing like a million yoga push-ups, right? Yeah. But then very quickly I was like, okay, that it wasn't working for my body anymore as well. So that's right. how my practice, my practice and my teaching, you know, evolved into what I feel is now a way better. Um, well, for, for me personally, a better way to practice and to move my body. But yeah, my students were just like, they just like, trust me. They just like trust that like, if I change, like I'm still going to be their teacher and, and that they'll still get something out of, out of the practice. And yeah, I found people who really like that, that they never know what they're going to get with me. Totally. They go to class and they're like, we have no idea what she's going to teach but they trust you. And I think that's the most important thing is like that trust building with your students and also the quality of your classes, whether it was an Ashtanga inspired class that you were teaching all those years ago, or more kind of like functional movement, what you're doing now, because they trusted you to deliver a certain quality of class and teaching. It almost doesn't matter what you're teaching because they know this will be an hour well spent of my life. And, you know, being, back in Kingston and the studio that I used to teach for or that I taught for closed. And now I'm trying to, you know, find my, my space in the city. And that's what I'm looking for. It's like, who's the teacher that I can trust because my time is precious. Everyone's time is precious. I don't have an hour to waste on a shitty yoga class. I just don't, you know? And so it's about finding that teacher who I can trust no matter what style you're teaching, no matter what time you're teaching, no matter where you're teaching, I know that I can turn up and I'll have a great hour and I'll leave feeling like I've done something that's good for me. And that's what you built for your students over the years. So it almost doesn't even matter what you're teaching because they come for you as a teacher, but it's like the material can change and they'll trust that it will be great because that's the legacy that you've built over the years. Yeah. They're coming for an experience. For sure. They're not coming because they want to do this specific pose, you know? Mm -hmm. And I always ask my students like, Hey, what do you want to work on tomorrow? Like, I'll just like randomly like DM a student that I know signed up for a class and say, Hey, what do you want to work on tomorrow? And seriously, Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, they're like, whatever. Like, I love that. They don't care. They don't want to like perfect their half moon or their dancers pose. They are coming for an experience. They want to be led and they want to to move their body in a way that just like connects them back to their self. Mm. And that's to me, the most, the most powerful thing about 
about the yoga practice is it's for sure this beautiful journey within for sure I was talking with Matt last night about how you know lately so much of my practice has been at home and in complement to more of a like a weight a daily weightlifting practice as well and I was saying to him I was like you know I see yoga as being an amazing, an amazing methodology for people who are looking to heal, whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually, yoga is deeply healing. And I see it as being a really great complement to a perhaps more rigorous physical practice, whether that's weightlifting or cross-country skiing or whatever else it is that you're doing. Um, Unless you're teaching the way that I know that you teach, which is very functional. And unfortunately, in the yoga world, a lot of yoga is not very functional or even just like intelligently sequenced. And so because you're doing so many repetitive movements like the chaturangas and the more ashtanga style, you're actually putting yourself at a risk of of injury, which I've experienced, which you've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe can you talk a little bit about the style of yoga that you're currently teaching and why you've why you've grown to teach that way? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'd say I my style definitely started to evolve more into, I'd say intelligent sequencing in that I was preparing the body for peak postures and that, you know, this, the sequence was making sense in terms of progressions and, you know, advancing uh, certain, certain postures, but it was, it, it still felt like it was missing something. Mm-hmm. And I was still dealing with a lot of um, like pain in my shoulders, in my neck from old injuries that yoga had helped to heal quite a bit, but I wasn't fully at, it, I wasn't fully healed. Like I would start getting pain again and something was missing. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit and suddenly you could practice with any yoga teacher you wanted in the world online. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a teacher who I had done classes with at Wanderlust, Matt Fippen, put some of his trainings online. And Mm -hmm. so I started studying with him um, and he teaches functional range systems. So not yoga at all. It's completely in the mobility world. And I started learning from him and that was really like the missing piece for me in terms of sequencing my classes, but not, not only using passive stretches, but active conditioning and, and mobility drills. And so that was, yeah, I guess, oh my God, COVID, what is it like two and a half years now? I think so. Maybe more. So. So since then, I've taken like every training with him and his teaching partner, Kate Gillespie. And they really have changed the way that I teach and the way that I think about movement. And since then, my body has changed so much. Mm. Like I have very little pain in my body, even though I move all day long. I like I'm able to do so many other postures that I was never able to do totally out even trying them like my the way that I teach now is so different than than how I thought we should we should train or prep the body for certain postures so 
like handstands. When COVID hit, I was like, I'm, I want to learn how to handstand finally. Like I'd just been kicking up for years. I'd kick, 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 kick. Then my neck would hurt or my wrist would hurt. And I'd be like, okay, I'm done. This sucks. Like I hate handstands. Yeah. And, I'd give up. <laughs> and then when I started studying with Matt, he was like, oh, if you want to be able to handstand, like you need to train your wrist to be able to do like 90 degrees of wrist extension or like 180 degrees of shoulder flexion. Right. So I just started doing drills for my wrists, for my shoulders, for my spine, for my hips. And then suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, not only can I like kind of handstand, but it doesn't hurt. Cool. Like it's, I'm not, I'm not feeling pain. Yeah, sure. I'm feeling like muscle soreness sometimes, but there was no pain. So I started sequencing all of my classes like that, where it's like, okay, take the peak pose, look at the primary joint movements and, and in the preparation, just work the joint movements themselves. Yeah. And then like finding creative ways to still make it yoga is really fun because the drills themselves are really boring. Mm -hmm. Um, most people like wouldn't want to do them. I, I do enjoy them now because I know that they work. So it's really motivating, you know, when you do them and then you see such big differences. Um, but I find it fun to like take these very dry mobility drills and then like work them into a yoga flow Mm -hmm. and, Yeah. So many of my students just like really started to love that way of teaching as well. And then I, yeah, so that's, that's how my teaching has evolved. And now I am offering this sort of, um, this, this method of teaching to other teachers as well. Yeah. So Mel, why don't you talk a bit about that? You're offering, it's like a sequencing training, right? Yeah. So I have a sequencing training that I offer that really shows people how, um, to design a class based off of a peak pose, but instead of just like, okay, like my peak pose is let's say handstands again. Okay. Well, we'll just do like standing splits and like warm up, like do a million forward folds and like do a ton of planks because you need your shoulders and your core to be strong. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of doing it that way, it's like, no, let's work the wrists, let's work the shoulders and like, and do the mobility drills. And then the handstanding part of the class is really like, you know, one minute. Um, I'm also teaching workshops that show, um, that method as well, like for Sweet. arm balancing and things like that. And even in my, my workshop, it's like, within the two hours, you know, maybe half an hour is actually practicing the pose itself because in developing the strength and the mobility needed to get to the peak pose, your body's just getting so much stronger. Your joints are getting so much healthier mm-hmm. that I honestly don't even really care about the peak pose anymore. For like, sure. I just want my joints to be strong and healthy. And I see how that has helped with tons of other sports that I do and just being able to teach a lot more too. Yeah. In the beginning, I get so tired from teaching and like my muscles would hurt because they were being overstretched all day long. And now in this way of teaching, I can teach a lot more because I'm just moving smarter. 
For sure. And I feel like too, if we're thinking about longevity in terms of our practice, so many people come to yoga because we're all in aging bodies, no matter how old you are, we are all aging. And that comes with certain complications down the road. And what we've seen in a lot of traditional yoga practitioners is actually knee replacements and hip replacements and chronic pain because of the repetitive movements. So if you're looking for a yoga practice so that you can have healthy joints and you can age with ease, you know, finding a practice similar to what you teach is, is really crucial because unfortunately, sometimes our yoga practice can cause us physical harm if we're not practicing in a way that is intelligent. And it also makes me think of, you know, I come from the moto yoga world. I know a lot of people listening come from the moto yoga world And the Moto Yoga foundational sequence is an amazing smart sequence and it's an amazing teacher training. I can fully vouch for that. But what it doesn't teach you how to do is sequence your own yoga classes. So I'll encourage anybody who's listening, who's curious about that to um, explore Mel and in the show notes, I'll link to her website and to her Instagram and take a look at what she's offering because I'm sure you have a lot of questions about how to sequence an intelligent yoga class um, so that you're not just teaching one sequence for the rest of your teaching career. So I think that's fantastic. And it's been so cool to watch your own evolution. And like, I can totally vouch for Mel's progress. It doesn't matter what's happening physically. And we all know that, but it's a cool side effect of all of this other work that you're doing. Like your progress with your handstands and your backbends is truly remarkable. And so for anyone who wants that or is curious about that as well, know that there is a method towards getting there and it might look different than what you, what you think it would be. It's not just kicking up into a handstand, like you said, every day and hoping and praying that one day you'll be able to hold it away from the wall. It's, it's a lot of other uh, training as well. Mm -hmm. So that's so amazing. Honestly, like I should share more of my practice online because well, I do in my teaching, but you know, when I go and take photos and, you know, I'm doing the peak pose, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing the big pose and, but my actual practice, like the exercises and stuff that I'm doing daily, like they're not fancy. They're Mm -hmm. not big pose. Mm -hmm. And again, that's so important for people to hear, whether that's talking about your yoga practice or your business, what we see online is, the end result of all of this grit and all of this work that isn't super sexy. It's not, I'm doing air quotes here, you know, Instagrammable. It's, it's a lot of time and effort and and attention to small details. And um, what's posted, like you said, is, is the end result of all of that work, whether that's, you know, your business totally popping off, or you finally being able to do this peak pose that you've been working for. And then people only see that And then it's almost a little discouraging like handstands were for you at the beginning because you were just not getting there. So I think that's so cool. And I honestly think that we need more of that in the yoga world. There's still not enough of it. And I think it, it will come it more and more teachers are going to want to start to teach in this way. And so know that we have a resource for you if you're ready to take that next step in your teaching. Um, 
But with all of this, which is kind of neat, it's like as your practice changed, so too did your your business life. Um, so I want to know more about the transition from Karmashala, which was your yoga studio, to Melisande Yoga, which is your business now. And the good news about Melisande Yoga is so much of it is online. So people from all over the world can benefit from it. But I want to kind of hear in your words what that journey has been like. So obviously COVID impacted our business a lot. We were closed Mm -hmm. basically for, you know, six months of the year for two years. Mm -hmm. And during that time, we took everything online, you know, as every other yoga studio did, figured out, you know, how to build an online platform. And again, a lot of trial and error. And, um, then I found out actually like literally you and Matt were there. Yeah, we were found out when I got the, literally a note on the door Mm -hmm. saying you're the building that I was renting, um, for Karma Shala had been sold, which I knew it was for sale. It had been for sale the entire time we were operating the business. Mm-hmm. And I always assumed that if someone bought it, it would, it would remain an investment, uh, purchase and that we would just have new landlords, but the people who bought it decided that they wanted to completely take it over and open up their own business for years. I had questioned whether or not I should buy the building. I had, you know, general contractors come and look at it and we sort of made different plans and it never felt right. It felt forced. It felt stressful. And it was an old building. It needed a lot of work and it was honestly too small for Mm -hmm. us. Like our business had grown too much. It was too small. So I always decided, no, I'll just let the universe decide what happens here. And then I had already been questioning how much longer I wanted to run the studio. You know, I'd given so much of my youth, like my twenties to Mm -hmm. this business. And I had definitely hit a place where I felt like I was plateauing as a teacher. I wanted to grow and expand, but it was hard when your business was constantly being closed and you couldn't keep staff, Mm -hmm. you know, we kept like just our core staff on board, but I needed more support. I needed more staff. I needed more like management so that I could focus on teaching and developing new, new programs and new things. But instead I was, you know, stuck like doing daily management of, of this business because we had no staff and we had to really like manage our expenses. So found out that the building was sold was so tough to make the decision to close but after exploring many different avenues you know moving selling um whatever I decided let's just close the business Mm -hmm. and so we closed in July of 2022 was really heartbreaking and also beautiful just to have like everyone come together and celebrate this little studio that touched so many lives Mm -hmm. and so many people always, you know, would write to me and tell me how much the studio, I'm going to get emotional. 
Mm. how much the studio changed their life but I really don't think anyone will ever realize how much it changed my life Mm -hmm. like it gave me so much purpose it gave me so much freedom to like become who I am Mm -hmm. and yeah it was such a yeah, it was so tough to let it go, but I also just knew that that's what needed to be done. Yeah. Right. In my life, it, it's just been like stepping stones and the next one's just always presented in front of me. And, you know, with like the management of the cafe, it was like some guy just calling me up saying, Hey, I just bought this business in Banff. I heard you love it out there. I want to run it. And I'm like, sure. And then totally. it was this girl saying, I need help with my business. Like, will you be my partner? And I was like, sure. It was just like these, these opportunities presenting themselves. And this was, Hey, your business, the, you know, your business, something has to change. Yeah. And moving didn't feel right. Selling didn't feel right. And so I decided to close. And then two weeks after we closed, um, I bought a house. Mm Mm-hmm. And I had been sort of looking for a house for a long time. I was renting and I found out that my apartment was also sold and that I would have to leave my apartment. Oh my God, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Like literally, I think three weeks before the studio closed, again, received a note saying, Wow. This building has been sold. The entire apartment complex had been sold as staff housing to a new business that came to Tremblant. Wow. And it's a big complex. (laughs) I know. And they were like, you will have to move. You will have to leave at the end of your lease. And I was like, there's no way they can kick me out. But they they found a way through all of the sort of like lease agreements and stuff. And so I had to leave. And I was like, you know what? I want to... I want to find a place where I can live and teach and where it's my own and I own it. And there's Mm -hmm. no one that can, you know, take that away from me. So I like literally drafted this sort of dream house that I wanted. I wanted it to be somewhere quiet. I wanted it to be like near water. I wanted it to feel like open and airy and spacious and for it to be a place where we could all continue to grow together and to, and to heal and to, Mm. yeah, just like have a, something a little more intimate Mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, like that just boom showed up and big time, big time, like crazy. And so I moved in here in September and have been doing some small group classes here, but mostly focusing on retreats and workshops and um, trainings, like offering my sequencing training. And I also decided to continue teaching online, but just my own um, classes. So I created my own online platform as well. And now I'm just like full force into, yeah, my own business operating now without the, yeah, without the like umbrella of the studio. I was kind of like hiding underneath the studio, like who exactly is 
is the person behind Karma Shala. And everyone always said like, Karma Shala is you. Like when we think of Karma Shala, like we think of you. And so this, but because I didn't start the studio, I didn't name it Karma Shala. It wasn't my baby. I was running it kind of like the cafe, you know, it was yeah. someone else's initial baby that I was just running. And this now really feels like claiming and really stepping into my business, something that mm-hmm. I created, that I birthed, that is a hundred percent my own. Mm-hmm. And it's so aligned with who you are. It's, it is like Melazon yoga, you know, it's, yeah, it's it is me. who you are. And how has that felt for you transitioning from being a yoga studio owner to really being a solo entrepreneur and, yeah, like what has that brought up? Because I know in some of the conversations we've had how how vulnerable and how scary that can feel. And I can totally relate when when what you are doing is directly linked to your name. You know, people always say you are not your business, but in our field of work, we really are our business because our teaching comes through our practice, which is our own healing journey. So it's it is hard to separate the two. And I, I wonder what that's been like for you. Yeah, I mean, in honestly, it feels easy. It mm. feels easy to run my own business because now when I, like an ex, like a, a small example, when I'm writing the descriptions for my online classes, I no longer feel that it needs to be this certain level of professionalism because it's a yoga studio. Like, it's just me. So I talk Mm. as though I was talking to you. Yeah. I'm like, this class is amazing or this class is dope or like, I'm writing like XOXO. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I'm saying, I'm writing, oh my God, this class is going to like, you know, your your legs are going to be burning for days after this class or whatever, silly things. Mm -hmm. Just feels like there's less, of an effort when putting out content because it's just, it's just me. I'm no longer worried about it, you know, being translated. How's it going to sound in French? And it's just, it's just fully my own. That being said, I do, I definitely struggle with like fully promoting just myself. Mm. Like before I found it easier to promote the studio because I could promote like other teachers and I could, you know, like promote events with like guest teachers coming in, or I was promoting Karma Shala Mm -hmm. and now I'm like just promoting myself. And sometimes I'm like, I'm kind of like sick of myself. I'm like, (laughs) like, I'm sick of promoting myself, you know? Right. For sure. For sure. Enough of me, enough of me. So that's a p- part of the reason why I started the hundred days of ski, which is like a whole other initiative that I'm doing. I'm skiing mm-hmm. hundred Nordic skiing for a hundred days to raise money for a club in Tromblon. That's going to sponsor young female athletes to compete Amazing. in their, in their club. I know oh, cool. we should do a whole podcast on that. Honestly. Yeah, for real. Even just like the creation of that mm. synchronicities. It's, Amazing. Mm. Amazing. And that's also, 
that's such a good reminder too, where it's like, you're saying so much of the focus is on you. And just because your business is focused around you teaching yoga, it's like, how, how can we make this about something a little bit bigger? How can we make this a community initiative? And that's what you've done with the hundred days of ski, you know, it's how can we support the community in which Melazon yoga lives and exists? And in that way, it becomes about something bigger, which is important. Yeah. And just, you know, taking taking my skills of like promoting and like, and like bringing people together um, in the community and just sort of like directing it to another place has, has sort of like helped balance out my new business, I feel. Mm. And yeah, maybe I'm, maybe it's just helping with the transition, honestly, of like fully stepping into just feeling comfortable promoting myself all day long. For sure. For sure. Okay. Before we wrap up, I want to know what advice you would have for new yoga teachers who are, who are wanting to build a business out of being a yoga teacher. Like what would you say to yourself 10 years ago when you first started teaching? What advice do you wish that you had? Advice for myself as a new teacher. I mean, I'd say the advice would need to be directed towards myself before I was a teacher. Mm, okay. Because as soon as I started, like I, I, I like, I don't know. I feel yeah. Like it's I what did, you were meant to I be doing. Th- I did all the things like, yeah. I, you know, like I, I found my way. I didn't need advice. The advice mm. is try teach, mm. try experiment. You're not going to get better at teaching yoga by reading a book. You're not going to get better at teaching yoga by practicing yoga. You're going to get better at teaching yoga by teaching yoga. Mm, That's so good. And And so many people are scared to teach their first class. And it's like, rip the bandaid off. Let it be shitty. Let it be shitty. Yes. My, My advice to new teachers is always teach anyone that will say yes. So that, you know, the, the few months that I was, a new teacher at Karmashala and I was living with my mom and my sister, um, I would teach them every day, a private class. So Mm -hmm. I usually like teach my mom a private class and then teach my sister a private class. That's two hours of teaching. And then maybe teach a class at Karmashala as well. Amazing. With my mom and my sister, it was so great because I'd be like teaching triangle pose and I'd like totally mess it up. And I'd say, um, okay. I'm just going to, I'm just going to rephrase that. So with people that, you know, it's easy to like make mistakes and then try again. Whereas when you're teaching a group class, you make a mistake, you got to move on and keep going. Yeah. So with family and friends, it's nice because you can, you know, you can kind of like edit in a way. I love that. Um, but the advice I'd give to myself is trust yourself and know that you're ready. Mm. which I'm yeah I need that advice all the time like even just Same. saying that like I need that advice now Same. With, the, with the new projects that I'm working on again I clearly haven't fully learned from <laughs> previous self <laughs> that like you are ready like trust yeah. yourself you know For sure. It's a big teaching and it might be it might be a lifetime of embedding or learning that teaching. 
Yeah. And I think, okay. I, you and I just like, we want it to be good. Like we don't want to do something that's not great. And so you and I both have that in that we like over-prepare, over-prepare, over-prepare. And it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like I've been ready for years. For sure. For sure. Like you could have started teaching yoga when you were in high school, you know, realistically. Yeah. Or in early days of university. Uh, Maybe not. Yeah. It was a little scrappy back then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, this conversation has been amazing. And before we sign off, I want you to tell people where they can find you, what you offer, and I'll also include it in the show notes below. Cool. So they can find me online at Melly's on Yoga. Um, That's also my Instagram handle. So they can follow me on Instagram as well. Um, I have my online platform, which is great because I'm teaching and connecting with people all over the world. I also have a YouTube channel. um, So if people want to see my teaching style and take a free class, they can go there or they can join my online platform. It's a great combination of live classes and on demand. So I'm live on Zoom five days a week. And then I also have over 200 videos now. And I just, I just launched in July. So it's been, dude, I know. I just, that's what I mean. Mel is dedicated. Like she is showing up on her mat, recording classes. I feel like that's at least that averages out to a class a day. If you've been doing it since July, roughly. Yeah. Wild. I have like, I have on and off as my switches. Yeah. (laughs) On the balance, but (laughs) for sure. And yeah, if you're in Tremblant, please reach out. Even if we just go for like a walk or a cold dip or a ski, mm-hmm. I love to connect with people outside in Tremblant. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Mel, for doing this podcast episode with me. I love you. I am so proud of you. And it's just been amazing to see you step into this next iteration, which truly feels just like the most aligned and the most authentic for who I know you to be and who you are. So thank you for being here and sharing a bit of yourself with with the Aligned Living podcast. And yeah, reach out to Mel if you have any questions about anything that we talked about in this podcast, feel free to send either of us a DM and we will be back with another podcast episode sometime soon, I am sure. Thank you so much, Sophie. I love you too. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm stoked on your podcast. And I'm thank so you. honored to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. I love you. I love you.